As we've discussed on this podcast numerous times, technology has accreted into our daily lives in profound ways. First, manufacturers infused previously analog devices with digital components. Then we started connecting them to the internet. Computer systems are all around us, in cars, locomotives, aircraft, ships, hospital equipment, home monitoring, kitchen appliances, and light bulbs. Unfortunately, manufacturers are putting out fundamentally vulnerable technology. These devices are operating our locomotives, driving our cars, and delivering patient care. The consequences couldn't be graver, and the security community is unable to keep up. In this episode, special guests Fotis Hansis and Johannes Steiss join me to discuss the three major IoT attack surfaces, the network, the hardware, and the radio. Fotis Hansis is laying the foundation for a safe and secure artificial general intelligence at OpenAI. Previously, he worked as a principal information security engineer at Mayo Clinic, where he managed and conducted technical security assessments on medical devices, clinical support systems, and critical healthcare infrastructure. He has been a member of the core NMAP development team since 2009, when he wrote NCRAC under the mentorship of Gordon Lyon, the original author of NMAP, during a Google Summer of Code. He later worked as a mentor for the NMAP project during Google Summer of Code 2016 and 2017, and has authored a video course about NMAP. His research on network security includes exploiting the TCP persist timer, you can find his paper on the topic published in FRAC number 66, and inventing a stealthy port scanning attack by abusing XMPP. Fotis has presented at notable security conferences, including DEF CON. Highlights of his work can be found at his site, sock-raw.org. Johannes Steiss is a senior IT security researcher and head of red teaming at Census SA, a company that offers specialized cybersecurity services to customers worldwide. Johannes has participated in more than 100 security assessment projects, including the assessment of communications protocols, web and mobile banking services, NFC payment systems, ATMs and point-of-sale systems, critical medical appliances, and MDM solutions. His research currently focuses on the development of machine learning algorithms for improving vulnerability research, the enhancement of fuzzing frameworks, and an exploration of the current threats in mobile and web applications. He has presented his research at security conferences such as Black Hat Europe, Troopers NGI, and Security B-Sized Athens. Well, Fotis, Ioannis, welcome to the show. Hello, Richard. We are very excited to be your voice. I'm, I'm really glad you're able to join, and I know that uh, you you recently found yourself with a lot more free time on your hands than than you used to. Um, you've recently published a book with uh, No Starch Press called Practical IoT Hacking. Uh, congratulations! I know this is a, a tremendous effort and probably took a lot longer than you had originally planned to get it over the finish line. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, yeah, definitely took much longer than we had originally anticipated. Um, yeah, the original plan was for one year, and it took us more than two years uh, eventually to to make it work. <laughs> but it was worth was, the, the effort. Absolutely. What was the uh, impetus behind the book? Was or did you sort of um, grow up learning about IoT hacking and realize like the resources are sort of scattered all over the place and you wanted a cohesive presentation? Did you think it was just something kind of fun and interesting that you've always wanted to do? What, what, what spurred you to do it? Um, I, I'll just give my perspective and then um, Johannes can give his, his own. From, from my own perspective, I think 
Um, it, it was multifaceted. So first of all, uh, because of my previous work at Mayo Clinic, we, uh, we, we basically explored and analyzed a lot of medical devices. And medical devices are essentially a subset of uh, IoT systems. So they, they belong to the IoT world. Um, specifically, there is this term, the Internet of Medical Things, IOMT, uh, which uh, indicates anything that has to do with he- healthcare systems, medical devices, and so on. So back then, we were testing a lot of, uh, you know, implantable pacemakers, infusion pumps, uh, robots that perform, uh, you know, surgery um, that allow the operators to, to do surgery remotely, um, heart rates, monitors, all sorts of cool stuff that, um you know, that you would typically encounter in a healthcare environment, in a healthcare ecosystem. And um, I think that was the main, um, my, my, my job there was what intrigued me to delve more into, uh, you know, the, the hardware hiking parts of IoT devices. Um, we, we had to do things such as explore and reverse engineer uh, radio protocols. For example, there's this... Uh, the implantable pacemakers, uh, when they communicate with uh, with a home monitoring device that the patient uh, has in his home, and that device basically collects uh, diagnostic data from the pacemaker and then sends them to the cloud so that the physician can have access to that data and can you know um, monitor if the patient has some some kind of anomaly, for example, in in their heart rate. Um, that the, the, the protocol that um, the radio protocol, the wireless protocol that these devices use to communicate between themselves uh, was something proprietary. So uh, we had to do a lot of um, reverse engineering there and spend a lot of time, you know, to um, to also inspect and take the whole device apart to to see what's what's happening behind the scenes. Uh, so all of that, I think, was very intriguing. And um, we, we realized back then that there are huge security gaps in the medical device world, um, and the implications there are even even greater than just you know having a smart home router um, and being able to hack it. I mean, uh, there we're, we're talking about actual patient lives. Like if if you have an exploit chain for an implantable pacemaker you can actually cause a patient to die potentially. And there have been uh, attacks out there that can, that can actually do that uh, if, if all the pieces of the, of the puzzle fall into place. It's, it's, it's very complicated and it's not something that you know, can easily be carried out, but it's certainly uh, not, uh, not science fiction anymore. It's, a, it's something that can be, can be done. Um, and I think the, the second the second reason that we decided, at least again from from my point of view, to to write a book was that uh, when you when you write a book, when you try to you know organize and structure your uh, your research notes and all all your mental models about about security in a coherent way and also in a, in a simplified way, so that the reader understands it without having uh, lots of I guess. Um, dependencies so so the, the book itself has to be self-contained it, it, you, you have to provide all the all the content um, so that it flows smoothly and you, you don't force the reader to 
uh, continuously jump to hyperlinks and um, and reference other things. And all of that, um, you know, is is actually very educational for us as as authors. So it's I think it made us even better in our own research when we had to sit down and brainstorm about all these things and how to present them in a in a you know uh, simple uh, and coherent way. And uh, I, I think that was a great learning experience. I completely agree. And I had that same dependency path problem. I almost remember mapping out this giant acyclic graph and finding the root nodes and saying, all right, well, these are the first chapters. <laughs> and then you try and make it flow from there. And I think one of the most striking um, realizations was when you have difficulty writing something like a particular passage or on writing about a topic, I found for me personally, oftentimes it was because I didn't understand the material like I thought I did. And that lack of clarity was just a reflection of maybe this part I hadn't spent enough time learning about. And so it, it, writing is a fundamentally very uh, humbling experience, I think. So congrats again on on getting it over the finish line. Um, Johannes, what was uh, what was your motivation for, for getting involved in writing a book? In general, general, I believe that uh, IoT devices have successfully disrupted uh, our lives. Uh, they are everywhere. They are growing in importance. Uh, they are designed from a manufacturing mindset with uh, little or no security. So it is very challenging to work with them, to do research and to identify vulnerabilities. Uh, so this is the, the main motivation for me. Uh, however, when I met Fotis and uh, worked together uh, with also Evangelos, uh, Dermijoglu, Paulino Calderon, and uh, Bob Woods, uh, uh, the other authors uh, of this book, uh, we created a, uh, an amazing team. Uh, all authors uh, were experts in their fields, and they have a significant experience from previous uh, assessments, security assessments in uh, their jobs. So uh, we created a, a very, very good team uh, that was able to uh, really dig into the IoT things and uh, uncover the, uh, the complexity of, the, of, of uh, performing a security assessment and uh, be, be able to uh, decompose uh, the problem and structure the problem so that the readers can, uh, can easily perform a security assessment on their own. So this was uh, the, the second uh, thing that uh, really attracted me on uh, the book and uh, on uh, creating this book, uh, the joint effort. Uh, I, I want to mention that uh, all of us uh, added a, a little piece uh, in this book, a little from our hearts, uh, by combining our knowledge and uh, our previous experience. So for example, uh, Evangelos is uh, very strong in the financial system. So he has seen how uh, the applications in uh, IoT devices uh, for, for financial purposes have been used in the past. Uh, I have worked in uh, medical devices uh, as part of my work in census, in ATMs, in uh, NFC protocols. Uh, Paulino is also uh, very experienced in uh, Bluetooth parts and uh, Bo Woods also has done a significant work in IoT device in the past. So the combination uh, of our efforts, uh, I think that uh, eventually uh, ended up in creating a very, very uh, good book. I hope that you will enjoy it. And where can people who are interested in the book find out more about it? 
Oh, you can find it on, uh, on the, at the official website at nostarts.com. Um, if you Google practical IoT hiking, it should also be the first results. You can find it on Amazon. Um, you can also find it on Goodreads if you want to, to, to leave a review there as well. Uh, and we also have a, a website, uh, practicaliothiking.com, uh, practical-iot-hiking.com. Um, that is sort of like a placeholder for, uh, to, you know, to point to all these uh, resources. Oh, and by the way, we also have a GitHub repository with some of the code that we uh, present uh, throughout the book. Uh, where we also host a virtual machine that is used in uh, in one of the chapters about exploiting uh, zero configuration networking protocols. These are there are a lot of um, uh, ways you can you can find it. Uh, right now, the the physical uh, copy of the book uh, is has been released, so it was just uh, a couple of days ago. And uh, the Kindle uh, version, the digital uh, counterpart of the of the book, has been out for for about a month now. And it's uh, number one in network security on Amazon, if I got that right. Yeah, we we uh, yes. learned that yesterday. It was uh, very impressive and unexpected to to us. The Kindle edition specifically uh, made it to number one in the network security category on Amazon. Uh, and uh, we've also well, congratulations, that- yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I think we've also been in the top 100 in some, some other categories like uh, computer security uh, and, and a bunch more. We, we also want to, at, at this point, I think it's, it's um, um, important to you know, thank everyone that has contributed to it because it wasn't just uh, us as authors. Uh, no Starts uh, Press has done an amazing uh, work from their uh, part. And I think one of the, it is a fact that they are perfectionists and uh, this, this required uh, a lot more effort from, from our part, but I think at the end of the day, we are thankful for that. Uh, the, the amount of edits that we had to do uh, were, were, you know, many, too many <laughs> in some cases, but um, it, it is part of the process, and I think um, it, it made the book what it is today. Uh, we had to go through a lot of iterations, uh, through a lot of um, you know back and forth with the with the editors and the quality assurance and the technical reviewer afterwards. Uh, Aaron Guzman, uh, who was our technical reviewer, has done a great job. Um, he's also been heavily involved in the OWASP IoT project and in the IoT security world uh, in general. Um, and yeah, all of these contributions, uh, we've had uh, some guest experts, as specifically in chapter one, uh, like Jay Radcliffe, who has been a security researcher in the medical device field, uh, Mary Mo, um, and a couple of others that have given their perspective on the legal landscape as well. Uh, so all of those contributors, uh, I think, you know, have been um, greatly important to, you know, to, to make the book uh, what it is today. Awesome. Well, congrats again. I know it is a massive accomplishment. Hopefully you give you got yourself a little bit of a breather because I know it, it tends to consume so much of the non-full-time work uh, time that you do have. So 
Uh, with that, I am really excited to talk to you about your perspective on IoT hacking. We've, we've had a couple of shows um, that are specific to particular platforms, talking about locomotives and cars and some of the peculiarities of those systems. But I think what's so interesting about the book and the way that you've composed the author team is that you all come from so many different backgrounds, which allows you to think, I think, one level above and, and talk about these abstractions that are common to so many of the different IoT platforms. So, um, Ioannis, I would love to uh, start the conversation with a simple question, which is, what is an IoT device? Well, there are many definitions on what is an IoT device. Uh, in our book, uh, we're mentioning that an IoT, we assume that an IoT device is a physical device uh, that has some kind, some sort of com computing power and transfers data to a network. Uh, it may or it may not require a human uh, interaction, human-to-device interaction. Many say that it is a computer, but not uh, quite. So uh, IoT devices uh, are everywhere, uh, are uh, expanding uh, continuously, and uh, they may be wearables, they may be uh, smart uh, assistants, home assistants, smart thermostats, uh, we can meet uh, uh, IoT device everywhere in our everyday life. Uh, even uh, people that are not uh, so technologically inclined, uh, sooner or later, uh, tend to buy or use uh, one IoT device. Uh, the problem with these IoT devices is now that uh, they use the same technologies that we know that they are vulnerable and exposed to adversaries. Uh, but now they are driving us to work, they are delivering uh, patient care, they are monitoring our homes. So uh, while they are everywhere, uh, the danger exists. Right. I mean, they're so useful when they work, uh, which is why, and, and they've become cheaper and cheaper thanks to like how cheap integrated circuits and electronics design has become. Uh, and the ubiquity of wireless protocols to allow these things to get connected to uh, other devices to do useful work. But um, as you've mentioned, maybe security is an afterthought with a lot of the products that make it to market. So Fotis, you, you in the book do a really great job of starting with uh, where security researchers typically think about things, which is what the threat model is. Could you tell us a little bit about what a threat model is and specifically how you think about threat models in IoT devices? Yeah, so threat modeling uh, is a generic term uh, used in, in information security where you basically uh, map all the different uh, attack surfaces of, of, of your system. So you break down the, uh, the system into several components. So for example, in the book, we demonstrate um, an infusion pump system that connects to an EHR, uh, uh, electronic health record, uh, which is like a server uh, where some of the, um, I guess, um, you know, information from the, from the device will end up. Uh, we uh, break down that into different uh, components that make, make more sense. And then we categorize the different types of uh, threats that each component could potentially be susceptible to. And there are some, there is the concept of trust boundaries, which uh, means uh, which components, um, I guess, where, where does your, your trust end and where does the, um, 
where do the, the after 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 those limits the uh, the the attack surface might might become uh, might increase. And uh, threat modeling is, is I, I would say, more of an art uh, than a science in the sense that there are many ways to do it. Uh, for, for example, um, in, in, our, um, in our book, we, we, um, we show things such as the, uh, the, the stride model, uh, which is, um, I think it was originally uh, advocated by Microsoft and then uh, it, it basically, uh, you know, categorized the threats into categories such as uh, spoofing, integrity attacks, or repudiation attacks, and so on. And then there's another uh, model that you can use to uh, assign, uh, I guess, the impact uh, value uh, to, to each of these threats. Uh, there you can use a system like DREAD. Um, that's, that's an acronym for uh, as well. And the, the threat modeling for IoT in, in comparison with, uh, with other systems, I'd say it's, it's more interesting because of the so many different attack surfaces that you have, because we're, we're usually talking about a whole ecosystem. So if you have something like, um, um, like as simple as a water bottle, like we, we had, uh, uh, one of our uh, co-authors, Paulino, had done some research on a smart water bottle, which is very simple. But in reality, uh, that also communicates uh, through uh, Bluetooth uh, with with your smartphone. And there, the, the attack vectors are not, not just the device itself, but also the smartphone, uh, the mobile application. So the Android or, or iOS app. Uh, so what you can easily do, and then there is the cloud as well, right? Because some of these, uh, some of these data will eventually end up on the, on the manufacturer's servers. So all of these, uh, are within your, uh, threat model. Um, so for example, what happens if somebody, uh, compromises the, the cloud itself and then pushes, uh, malicious, um, code, for example, back to the, uh, uh, the, the mobile application, or you can use the mobile application. You can extract, for example, hard-coded encryption keys that are then uh, that are used to encrypt, uh, you know, a communication channel between the the, uh, the device and the, the smartphone app, the mobile app. So um, that's, I think, what makes it interesting. Um, the, the, the other, I think, very uh, significant example was from the healthcare environment. And I, I mentioned a few things earlier about the implantable pacemaker and the at home, uh, the monitoring device. Again, there you have the cloud, you have the home monitoring device that communicates to the cloud and the, the implantable pacemaker. And then, right, uh, you know, nowadays they also bring into the picture a smart, um, uh, a smartphone application, a mobile app that uh, can also be used by the patient to, uh, you know, communicate potentially with with the with the device, and all of these, although they they increase automation and they increase convenience, they also open up the, you know, more more surface uh, that can potentially be be abused by by malicious uh, uh, attackers by adversaries.
Right. And that surface opens up the ability for people to pivot onto various devices. So it's not just that the water bottle itself is vulnerable. It's potentially also the cell phone that's connecting to the water bottle. And that can be really bad if you're doing banking transactions or sensitive sorts of things on, on, the, on, the, on the cell phone, as well as, as you mentioned, the cloud. So now you're talking about all the customers for that company potentially. So it's important, I think, not to confuse the triviality sometimes of the IoT device itself in what sorts of simple functions it's doing with what the consequences could potentially be for the IoT owner, right? Um, And I I like how you guys broke out the attack surfaces into uh, the sort of three areas, network, hardware and radio. And I think it would be really interesting, Ioannis, if we uh, maybe kind of explored some of those attack surfaces and we could just go over a little survey of what sorts of things security researchers take a look at in each of those three uh, surfaces. So uh, the first one you have is the the network attack surface. And mm-hmm. you know, an important component to this and something that I know you, Fotis, have uh, a lot of experience with is the, the network assessments part. Um, Johannes, what are uh, some of the things that you're looking at when you start to uh, uh, analyze the network attack surface? Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, uh, these devices are generally placed uh, into uh, networks that uh, uh, maybe are part of a larger organization network or enterprise network. Uh, so these devices sometimes have a little or no monitoring uh, at all. Uh, and they are uh, exposed uh, to security vulnerabilities. So uh, sometimes we are l- largely blind to intrusion into, into this device. And uh, when we do, for example, uh, when we search for the threats in our organization, we, these devices don't even bubble up. So when we do, uh, for example, a network assessment, we always uh, search for uh, such IoT devices because they will, uh, they will be used as pivot points for uh, in for gaining access to the internal uh, network of an organization. So in the, in, in the first section of the book, uh, we present you a such uh, example where uh, we examine how an adversary can, uh, can use them in order to, to hop into other network segments. Uh, organizations tend to, to, to separate their uh, network in different network segments uh, in order to isolate uh, uh, maybe more untrusted systems with uh, less untrusted less trusted systems with more trusted systems. Uh, so, for example, IoT devices like uh, voice over IP phones uh, uh, are tend to connect with uh, other IoT devices like uh, smart locks in order to allow an employee to unlock uh, its door from uh, his VoIP device by just calling a number or to receiving a, a calendar notification or to be able to connect to the camera and uh, see live uh, streaming images from a security camera in, uh, in the building. So we, uh, we as, as, as adversaries uh, in the book, we explore a case where someone can abuse this model and uh, exploit the, the position of, of such IoT device in order to, to hop into other network segments. So, um, after uh, these techniques, uh, like impersonating IoT devices uh, like this, uh, we present how someone can uh, create uh, uh, specialized uh, s- service probes for tools like uh, Nmap uh, that, Fotis, as mentioned, is a main contributor. 
and be able to identify more of these devices in the corporate network. So, for example, even services that are exposed from these devices that are not published or not well known, you can we show how you can create, can you can craft a search extension for this tool in order to be able to to easily discover them in the network without uh, uh, making too much noise. Uh, if you are, a, 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 for example, a security uh, researcher or a, a security assessor for this network, and you want to examine if the, the security protections of the network are actually working, and to be able to quickly identify them and uh, proceed into further steps to, to evaluate their security. Uh, we had a, um, a company, um called Phosphorus, the, the founder, Chris Ruland, uh, on a couple of episodes ago. And his whole thesis about protecting these devices is uh, about being able to automate patch management and rotating passwords and, and things of that nature. So things that are basically simple configuration, uh, which become really difficult for an enterprise for some of the reasons that you've discussed around, like they don't even know that these, uh, they don't even have an accurate accounting of the inventory of these devices to begin with. And uh, so it seems like configuration is sort of a simple thing that enterprises can do to, to try to um, uh, keep these devices up to date. Uh, but you spend a lot of time in the book talking about something called zero uh, configuration networking and how those protocols can be uh, exploited. Fotis, can you tell me a little bit about um, the general state of configuration management in IoT devices for like an enterprise and then also a little bit about zero configuration networking? Yeah, so um, it's a very interesting topic because uh, like um, you said uh Basically, just getting an inventory of all your systems, not just IoT devices, any kind of system, uh, has been a hard problem for especially big enterprises. So, and we've seen a bunch of startups like uh, working on, on uh, products that uh, can automate that part, um, either through passive monitoring on the network or by even actively probing. Uh, you know, um, s- sending actual uh, queries to the to the whole network to to identify uh, these devices, and uh, and by the way, most of the times they use Nmap behind the scenes when they do that. <laughs> um, the, the, the why reinvent the wheel? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, the, the zero configuration uh, parts uh, of the protocols that we explore means those that uh, work usually out of the box and help you automatically disco- discover a different services on your network. Uh, a very uh, prominent example of those protocols is the uh, the pair uh, MDNS, multicast DNS, and uh, DNSSD, DNS Service Discovery, which are used. Uh, usually, you find them. Um, combined, and they they are used, for example, when there is no a Unicast DNS server on the network, and they are used to um, to automatically discover uh, things like a printing service on the uh, on your local network. So, say you have uh, a printer, and uh, you have like a system that like your workstation. And that, that's also the scenario that we examine in the chapter, where um, the you know your MacBook might continuously be sending these queries on the network using uh, DNS uh, SD, 
to to learn about if there is any printer on the network that offers you know the IPPS the internet printing uh, service um, so that you can uh, automatically configure it in your in your uh, workstation and not have to go through all these steps of you know finding the IP address and manually setting it up. And uh, but the problem with all these protocols is that there is an inherent trust again because when the, those were you know initially uh, you know being created, there was the concept of um, anything that is inside a local network is inherently safe and trusted, and um, there is no malicious intent, which is no longer the, the case, right? Um, I mean, in, in, in a huge network, even if we're talking about a local one, even where if we're talking about, you know, a local broadcast domain layer two uh, segment, uh, you, you can never assume that. Um, th- there should be, you know, the, the zero trust, I, I guess, model is, is what we are um, moving uh, towards in, in the uh, past few years. And... Um, Things like uh, MDNS and DNS can be abused to, for example, easily conduct uh, man in the middle attacks. You can do like a similar thing like the DNS cache poisoning uh, in these protocols. So what we've demonstrated in the in the book is that uh, you can easily write a, a simple Python script that can force the, uh, the the printing service to send the the print job to actually. That as as an attacker you'll you'll be able to capture the printing uh, job of the of the workstation when it sends it to the to the printer uh, because it will do all of that through the uh, through the DNS uh, SD and MDNS uh, protocols and you'll be able to capture the print job uh, a simple attack as as that which uh, works very easily and um, you don't have to find a vulnerability for that. I mean, it, this is how the protocol works, and that's what makes it so interesting. And uh, that also means that it's harder to to find protections against those because um, this is how they work. And usually, you have to, uh, as 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 a, you know, as a security engineer, for example, you'll have to always find workarounds to to protect those. Um, and another interesting one is the uh, the web services uh, dynamic discovery protocol, which is used for especially for IP cameras. And we also demonstrate an attack where you can uh, again this is used for automatic uh, service discovery, but usually for a for a server for a, a camera management software, as we call it, uh, that um, you can envision that as like a software where you you pull all the camera feeds and you have an operator just uh, being able to see all the camera feeds from your IP ca- cameras that are spread throughout you know your your physical campus for example of your company and uh, the, the, the WS discovery protocol is what is used there to automatically discover a new camera that comes in the network but again because uh, there is this inherent trust there you can abuse that to as an attacker on the network to imitate that you are a fa- that you are a camera uh, although you're you're typically not you you can just um, imitate that by again writing a simple python script and then you can you can act as a, as a, as an attacking client to the server to things to do things such as um, you know, fast the server and um, 
you know, um, potentially gain remote code execution on the server. Or you can just uh, make the operator think that you're a legitimate IP camera and then they might type in the username and password of the of the camera that um, to, that registers uh, the, the camera on the network. And usually, what we've seen in many of our assessments is that these username and passwords are typically reused. So it, it would be the same type of uh, credentials that they are used in, in other IP cameras. So again, you, you're basically fooling the the operator uh, to give you the credentials by um, by just imitating a, a, a legitimate camera on the network. Yeah, that these are um, all based on on, on uh, attacks on the on the protocol itself. So you don't have to, you know, actively find a software vulnerability, a bug on on any of the software to to exploit that. Um, I, you, you can just you know rely on the fact that this is how the, the protocols work, and this is what makes it so interesting and so insecure at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, we see this all the time in uh, fleet assets, so the protocols that underpin the data buses for for operational technology, you know, things like manufacturing and aircraft and uh, heavy equipment. And I think etymologically, a lot of these protocols come out of um, a time when these uh, processors that are running the code that are responsible for um, implementing these protocols are so limited in their capacity that like actually incorporating cryptographic primitives and security overhead on top of them just made it infeasible uh, to do. And so we're seeing a lot of academic research to try to patch up some of these issues. Um, it's hard because as you've indicated, the cat's kind of out of the bag. There, there are devices out there that already implement these protocols. And so it'll be a very long time before we can um, replace those older protocols uh, with new ones. We we haven't been able to do it on IT infrastructure, right? We still use um, Ethernet and IP, and those are those are insecure. Um, but but zero configuration networking is really convenient, right? It's like it's a very convenient thing for me to be able to sort of plug things onto a single broadcast domain, and then they just sort of figure each other out and they start working. Is the idea of zero configuration fundamentally at odds with security, or are there secure ways of designing these protocols uh, so that they're not susceptible to these sort of trivial man-in-the-middle attacks and things? I mean, there are ways to make them more secure. Um, I mean, I can I can think of uh, uh, a bunch of examples where, yeah, the, the, I, I think the the, the zero trust. Uh, mindsets that and model I, I I'd say that the industry is moving towards is something that um, can can sort of combine automation up to a point it, it needs it needs a lot of work initially to set things up but uh, from there on uh, I think it's it's certainly more secure it's yeah in in some sense it might deviate from the from the, the the whole convenience that uh, a strictly zero configuration networking protocol um, provides, but um, at the same time, yeah, it's it's you have to 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 find a, a golden ratio there. You have to find a balance. Like what what are the things that you want to if if it takes one more step for you know for the human operator to 
uh, to validate that a device is trusted, is this worth the, the extra time and extra effort if at the end of the day you uh, then you ensure that you know uh, all these systems are are not malicious um and there has been uh, more research in in that uh, in that field there have been um um you know especially i think in in the uh in the radio uh part of protocols uh for example um what was it the the, the one that uh, Amazon recently re- released was it uh, firewalk or sidewalk where where it it, it basically um, provides some some of this automation without sacrificing so much of the um, you know the, the security but yeah it's 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 definitely a, um, a hard uh, you know it, it's definitely hard to find to find the perfect balance there Right, and and you mentioned another really important attack surface on IoT devices, which which is the radio, um, because these devices are oftentimes spread out in physical space so that they can be proximate to whatever physical asset they're supposed to be sensing or or manipulating. They oftentimes communicate over uh, over radios. So, um, Johannes, what are some of the um, attack surfaces on the radios of these IoT devices that security researchers take a look at? So, uh, in general, there are uh, many different uh, radio applications that we can find in an IoT device because they are using they are used uh, everywhere in every facet of our world. So, for example, uh, if we have a, a smart lock, uh, you probably have a, a RFID, a short-range radio. Uh, for, in order to be able to identify someone using uh, the appropriate uh, RFID tag. In uh, modern uh, smart cities, you may find the, the LoRa. What do you remember the exact name of the... You mean low power wide area network protocols or? Um, exactly, yes. Yeah. Uh, LP WAN or was the. Uh... Yes, uh, LP WAN and actually narrowband and ultra narrowband. This is the names that I forgot. Uh, so you may find this in uh, smart cities, in infrastructure, in logistics. It depends on the application uh, every time. Then we have the medium range uh, radio like the, the Wi Fi. Bluetooth uh, for uh, uh, applications that need, uh, for example, uh, a power saving. We have the Bluetooth low energy. Uh, all of these are different uh, types of technologies that you may find in, uh, in an IoT device. And this uh, incre- increases the attack surface dramatically. So uh, in our book, uh, we present uh, different examples on how you can approach uh, these technologies. We also recommend to use uh, some uh, sort of hardware that you can easily find that is affordable. Uh, For example, in case of Bluetooth, uh, we propose to use the ESP32 uh, chipset, which allows you to easily uh, intercept and tamper uh, Bluetooth uh, low energy communication. And we also give some examples on how to uh, how to examine a, a Bluetooth a device, how to enum- enumerate the different services. Uh, in case of the RFID, uh, we recommend to use uh, a Proxmark uh, device. Uh, we give also uh, an example on how to uh, copy an RFID tag 
and maybe use it in order to circumvent the door access uh, control uh, or uh, to even uh, crack the password of an RFID tag that it is protected uh, due to weaknesses that are uh, uh, sometimes found in uh, this kind of technologies uh, and they are introduced uh, because vendors not always have the security in their mind uh, when they produce a device. And, uh, or there are just cryptographic flaws that sometimes happen. And uh, we also uh, demonstrate how you can create uh, an NFC fuzzer, for example, in order to, to, to fuzz uh, uh, an RFID, an NFC more precisely, uh, reader in an Android device. Uh, NFC is uh, a part of the high-frequency RFID technology and it is very often used uh, for uh, such IoT devices because you want, for example, to perform easy, an easily, uh, easily a pairing between two devices. Uh, we've seen this in uh, smart wearables, in uh, um, POS systems uh, for e easy transactions in order to be able to identify the location of a user so, uh, for example, uh, we demonstrate how you can uh, write uh, a Lua script and tamper with the payloads that are transmitted and uh, see, for example, due to the mutations, how the uh, RFID reader uh, will behave. Maybe you are able to identify vulnerability that will circumvent or a, a specific logic controller even crash the application and gain access to to, for example, to protected uh, locations due to uh, by bypassing the the door access, for example, uh, control. Uh, we also uh, show how to attack, to perform some uh, Wi-Fi attacks. Uh, we have uh, devices, IoT devices that have, for example, Wi-Fi direct, direct and uh, uh, other type of technologies uh, similar uh, to this one uh, for uh, pairing. Uh, we show how you can brute force the pin, for example, a WPS pin, uh, how you can uh, perform uh, evil twin uh, attacks and uh, WPA2 cracking. Uh, these are attacks that uh, are imported from uh, security testing that we, that we, in general, we do when we do a wireless assessment. However, they are, these are applicable to IoT devices. However, you just need to, to perform the attacks uh, in a different way in order to approach the, the technologies. Uh, at, the, at their application level. So, for example, an IoT device, you may have uh, an, uh, an, you may be able to only integrate, interact with NFC at a specific uh, state, uh, or uh, the device may be located at a specific place. So, uh, you have to, uh, let's say, transform your uh, existing methodology. Uh, and and uh, in, in order to meet the requirements for uh, testing and this kind of devices. Yeah, and I mean, you mentioned uh, an ESP32. Uh, I mean, these are fascinating microcontrollers that cost like a couple of dollars uh, that have the ability in, in this situation to conduct attacks against BTLE or, or Wi-Fi. But these chipsets, the the ESP32 and the and the and the, and the uh, 8266 have are part of a lot of IoT devices themselves. They are the they are the brains for for lots of IoT devices, right? And um, in your book, you also talk about attacking the electronics itself on 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 the IoT device. So, um, Fotis, could you give me an overview of uh, as a security researcher, you've got the the board in your hand. Um, what are some of the things that you're doing to that board to try to understand its properties and potentially find uh, uh, vulnerabilities on that attack surface? 
Yeah, so um, one, one of the first things uh, to, that you do when you have a hardware device is, uh, first of all, I, I, we start with passive reconnaissance. So you don't even have to touch the device initially. You just have to find information about its, uh, if it uses, for example, a specific radio protocol, you can, you can find, uh, there's, uh, this website, the F FCC ID, where you can just, um, search for the, uh, for the, for the band, the frequency band of that, uh, that, that is, is written on, on the, on the, um, you know, on the device, and you can find lots of interesting information, even, even about patents that are associated with, uh, with, how this uh, communication protocol works, uh, and I, we we start from there. And also, like speaking of patents, you can also just Google things. You can you can use Google Patents, um, the website, to search for the exact device and see if they have uh, actually published anything. And this is very useful information to understand, like the system architecture and how some of the components of the device might. Uh, uh, might interact with each other. So, for example, we've done that for medical device, specifically for uh, implantable pacemakers. Uh, so you start from there. You can um, you can then obviously take the device apart. Uh, you you have to always be cognizant of uh, tamper protection mechanisms that might uh, potentially physically harm the the device and then you know might uh, make it unusable. Um, but then the next step is usually to find uh, debugging ports. So one of the most common ones that are used by the vendor to, uh, to, to potentially debug the device when something, something happens and they, they just leave that on the, on, on the production uh, device. They, um, is ports such as uh, UART, which is the, the serial interface, or uh, more commonly JTAG. Uh, th these are all things that we explore and how to interact with these uh, interfaces and how to, to exploit them. Uh, we've seen so many devices um, where you, if you just plug in um, you know, a USB to serial interface or just use a generic Swiss Army knife like the Bus Pirate, which can talk the, the UART um, protocol, just plugging in uh, and touching the serial uh, interface can just uh, pop uh, a root shell on, on the device. So you, you immediately have root access. And we've seen that uh, so many times. Um, same thing with, uh, with uh, JTAG, although it's, it's a bit harder to, to uh, interface with. Uh, there's also the serial wire debug, uh, which is, uh, I guess, a stripped down version of, the, of JTAG, but works very similarly. And we also explore uh, in one of the the main hardware hacking chapters how to basically we we st we have a whole exercise of uh, taking a uh, an STM thirty two uh, device uh, the black pill uh, which is very popular quite cheap device costs a couple of bucks and you can easily find it on the internet and use use that as the target device. Uh, where we use uh, an assortment of devices and software to first flash the device with uh, some, some custom software that we write. Uh, and we also walk the reader through uh, how to use Arduino. Um, we, uh, we then 
use a combination of um, you know the, the UART protocol to talk to the device and capture the the serial output, which is what our software does. It just uh, you know prints some some kind of text using the uh, the serial protocol. And then as, as the next step, we use uh, serial wire debug, this debugging protocol where we, we use another device, uh, and, um, in this case, the, the ST-Link. And we, we basically, this allows you to do things such as um, debug or, or flash the me- or just dump the memory of the, of, of the device. So using a, a combination of software like the uh, OpenOCD, the Open on Chip Debugger, and uh, uh, the GNU Debugger (GDB), you can uh, you can use uh, this hardware um, this hardware uh, device in this case the ST-Link to communicate through the serial wire debug uh, interface to the to the black pill, our target device, and then use that to to do remote debugging. Uh, so you you use GDB as you would in in a, your you know, uh, a local, you know, program running on your workstation. And then you can do anything like uh, change the, the execution flow or dump registers and uh, extract memory and uh, basically what, whatever you want. And this, I think, is one of the most educational exercises because it works from, from step zero, from like I have a device, uh, what do I do with it? And I have this, uh, all these protocols that uh, can potentially be abused. And uh, yeah, walk, walk through the whole thing and uh, how to, to exploit that. And there are also a bunch of other um, interesting chapters, uh, for example, for using SBI uh, and I squared C, which are also uh, common protocols uh, that we see uh, for, uh, in, in hardware hacking. Uh, and we, we also work the reader through a bunch of exercises there. Uh, how to dump firmware. Uh, this is also very, very common. And what to do when you have the firmware. Like, because, yeah, dumping it is, is the first step, but then you have to extract it and analyze it and, uh, you know, make sense of, of what the file system that's potentially there uh, does. Or you might have to decrypt it first. So we, we explore all these these aspects. Um, and hardware hiking can be intimidating, but um, I, I, I think one one of the uh, you know areas that we spend a lot of time on was just brainstorm on what are you know the easiest tools to to, to find and um, as attacking devices first of all, so that the reader doesn't have to spend a lot of money and that. Uh, in the next few years, they're not going to be out of stock. They're they're still going to be there because they are popular enough. And the same thing with with the target devices. Uh, find uh, those you know uh, devices that are easy to purchase and experiment on your own. And at the same time, um, you know it it won't cost a lot to the reader, and um, they, they'll have an easy way of of you know getting them. Awesome, and uh, Johannes. I think IoT devices have a reputation right now for having extremely poor security. Um, I think maybe there are some uh, indications that things are getting a bit better. Where where do you see IoT security going over the next couple of years, and are we headed in the right direction? Well, uh, first of all, uh, we can't avoid introducing security uh, into the IoT technology. Uh, 
uh, it's not something that it is avoidable. Uh, first of all, it's something that it is a, fin a financial issue. Uh, uh, IoT devices by 2025 will expand to uh, some billions, and this will bring uh, trillions of dollars in the GDP, which means that uh, if uh, this fails due to, for example, security concerns, uh, then uh, this will be a major financial drawback. So uh, security concerns can be a deterrent uh, as much as the price of a device, and uh, this uh, should be avoided. Also, the IoT devices, as we mentioned earlier, are used for, uh, for example, for in medical devices like a patient for patient treatment. So if we have uh, uh, like a, a crisis in confidence, then uh, this will delay these technologies from. Uh, uh, intro, from uh, integrating to our uh, to the way of uh, healthcare, for example, that it is uh, currently implemented. So it is necessary to proceed and uh, integrate the security at uh, uh, the big and do the biggest effort that we can. So the, the, what about now? Uh, we can see that right now there are frameworks that uh, give us an idea on. Uh, the security controls that we can implement, and this is very important. Uh, for example, the IAM Cavalry that uh, Bo Wood participates also uh, has the has uh, released the Hippocratic Oath for uh, uh, such devices. Uh, we have uh, similar uh, frameworks from uh, other uh, organizations, and, and then we have uh, new standards that. Um, are sometimes are required for uh, releasing a, a device, like a medical device. We have standards from uh, National Institute uh, from, uh, of Technology uh, in the US, like NIS team. We have uh, from the European Union, the ETSI, uh, sorry for the acronyms. Uh, and we have also uh, many uh, guides from different organizations. For example, the OWASP uh, has proposed uh, many, many guides on how to uh, identify such uh, security issues and how to uh, mitigate uh, this kind of risks. So uh, I think that uh, there is a progress, uh, but it is in our hands to actually uh, reach uh, the security posture that we want in IoT technology. Well, Johannes Fotis, you've definitely contributed contributed massively to that effort with uh, with your book, and I think a lot of readers will find these previously inscrutable and inaccessible kinds of devices much more accessible with some of the techniques and exercises that you have in there. So, uh, thank you so much for writing the book and putting that out in the world, uh, as well as for taking a little time to come on the show and talk about it. I hope to have you on again very soon. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planes, Trains, and Tanks. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving us a review. To learn more about Shift 5 and our products, visit our website at shift5.io or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter.